So today we're mainly going to be looking at uh, Luke 10, 21 to 37, but um, I'd like to just walk backwards a little bit here to, uh, to kind of give us a little bit uh, of a context of uh, surrounding the, the discussion in uh, verses 21 through 37. But the, um, let's open in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I just pray the Lord that you'll guide are all of our hearts this morning and help us to hear what it is that you want us to learn today and that we uh, are obedient servants to you and that we just uh, um, do our best every day to resemble your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so at the beginning of Luke 10, Jesus' ministry is starting to grow. He's uh, He's getting to the point where he recruits the 72 and he sends them out to uh, the cities that he has plans to go to. And uh, the, uh, he gives them some instructions as to what to do, how to do it. So they, he wants them to go two by two and, and uh, different instructions like that. And um, so he sends them out. They go out. And then as we get along into verse 17, you're going to see... When they return, they come back and they are they're very excited. They are like, wow, look at what God has done. Look at what we were able to do in Jesus' name. And let's read that. In verse uh, 17, the 72 return with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name, to us in your name. And uh, that's that's powerful. That's not of man. That is of God, 100%. And when we move down into verse 22, we see that Jesus is talking to the group. And uh, by the way, I believe this is a, a large group. There, so there was the 72 came out. I don't see any reason for the 72 not to be there, plus the 13. So this is most likely in an outdoor setting or a larger setting with people hearing these conversations. And uh, so in verse 22, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. <clears throat> then this is this is kind of neat. So, he says this, now we don't know the time periods, but he says this, and then he turns privately to his disciples. And he says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, it did not hear it. Now, in 20, verse 25, it says, And behold... So all of a sudden, it would be my belief that this conversation, this happened fairly quick. So he says this, he turns around to his, his disciples privately, and then, and behold, a lawyer stands up. And he stood up for the purpose of putting him to the test. 
says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a great question. There is absolutely nothing wrong with this question. What is wrong? And Jesus sees this right away. Is his heart behind it. Now, (laughs) Jesus knows everything. So, I guess he knew this man was a lawyer. So, he said, oh, I'm going to handle this like like we know the lawyers do today. And we're going to do a spin job on this one. Let's turn it around on you. So, he says to him, what what is written in the law? This is very important. How do you read it? So he puts it right back in his court. So Jesus knows the word is the truth. And he also knows that this man, if he and all men, we inherently, we read something and we have a tendency to twist it. So it's what we want it to say. We don't like to see our, the truth of our sin, the truth of our waywardness. So that's a struggle that we all have. And this man is not alone in that. But what's important to note is that this man, this lawyer, if he in fact was overhearing the conversation that took place ahead of it, he did not question Jesus' authority. He didn't question anything about, well, the Father knows me and he's the only one and I'm the only one who knows the Father and all that. He didn't question the fact that Jesus had power over the demons and that the people that he sent out had powers over the demons just in his name alone. He didn't question any of that. He chooses to ask this question. What do I have to do to have eternal life? Jesus points him to the law. Directly to the law. Jesus, or the man answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, do you notice that the quote mostly was Deuteronomy 6.5? I say mostly. The first three quarters was Deuteronomy 6.5. So this lawyer obviously was versed in the scriptures. He knew what he was talking about because he knew that to get the correct answer, the whole truth to the answer, he had to include Leviticus 19.34, which speaks on that you have to love your neighbor as yourself. The first half would have been an incomplete answer. And Jesus affirms his answer. 
He says, you have answered correctly. And that is very, very important as we move forward. So I don't know about you, but at this point, knowing who I'm talking to, if I hadn't fainted already, I would have stopped. I said, ooh, I'm one for one. I got one right. Stop now. Let's not push it. This is going to go bad. Clearly, when I'm talking to the Lord, I, I have no, no standing. No standing at all. But, the lawyer didn't stop there. Clearly, something was bugging him. As he's processing his correct answer, he's provoked to ask a follow-up question. Now, the, the questioning is here is, why? Why does he feel the need to ask this follow-up question? Well, based on what I see in the passage justification. He knew that his answer carried a ton of weight, a ton of responsibility, and a ton of necessary actions to live out the faith that saves. The answer does not save the actions based on the beliefs because you believe show the indication of the heart that you, in fact, are the true believer. Now, he tried to justify. So he goes on and he says, and who is my neighbor? We just want to pause here and just just say anytime we read the scripture and you sense that justification coming into your heart and your mind stop and take note, heed, whatever you want to call it. Let the gut punch come. Let you learn. Under We have to all understand our where we are at so that God can transform us. I don't know about you, but I need transformation. I'm sure we all do. And that is, that's a sad, sad thing when we read the truth and we do the spin job on it and try and justify. So he asks, and who is my neighbor? <clears throat> so his initial answer was, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And it's surprising to me <laughs> that the follow-up question was, and who is my neighbor? I'm pretty sure that it's awfully difficult to live up to the love your God with all your heart, 
and all your soul and all your strength. Like that, that's immense. So why did he ask, and who's my neighbor? I believe it's because that's the only part of that statement that is very observable by the public, by others. You can privately say, well, I love the Lord with all my soul, all my heart, all my strength. And don't judge me because you don't know me. But to show love to the lepers, the sick, the oppressed, the poor, the non-Jews, the detestable in society, your enemies, that's observable. So, I believe that's why this man came up with this question. And who is my neighbor? Because if you can justify it away to that it's your only your close circle of friends, that's easy. Well, Jesus was just about to disappoint this guy. So let's read on. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jericho, or from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, and I'm just going to just uh, put some context to this, an enemy of this Jewish person, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine, and then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. <clears throat> so, I just wanted to um, tell you a little story, a true story that I know. Um, just to just to give us a a slightly more modern depiction of what this looks like. Okay, so as we all know, World War II broke out in 1939. Europe and Asia was ravaged, destroyed. The main enemy in Europe was the German Empire, which then started to expand and stretch and basically under the Nazi regime, and it was immense what they took over. But, you see, when war happens, boys, men, they get conscripted. They get pulled in, and they are enlisted into the army, whether they like it or not, or whether the rules of the land say you can or you can't. Well, that just takes one session of parliament to say, oh, that rule's gone. You're in. 
But so just keep that in the back of your mind, please. So as the war progressed, Hitler would have been bringing in more and more and more able bodies to enlist into his army. So that's just a little bit of background to this story. A Canadian soldier was with a tank regiment. And they, at this point in time, they were inside the German borders. They were coming on, in on, uh, on Berlin within uh, months or days, I can't remember. And uh, you see, when you were on, in the army as a motorcyclist, people don't realize this, but it's actually per capita one of the highest death rates any position in the military. Partially because there was not as many of them, but also it was extremely dangerous. Um, they had tactics and things that the Germans would use, but piano wire across the roads and paths so that if your chin was not firm on the handlebars, if that wire caught you, it would decapitate you. And, and so this soldier was driving chin to the tight to the handlebar to protect his life, to hope that if he hits that wire, he'll bounce off the helmet and go over. And he uh, is doing his patrol and came around and with very little time to react, saw that the road had been blown out. He had a choice, ditch the bike or try and jump it. Well, he tried the Superman move. He tried to jump it. And it didn't go so well. When he landed on the far side, he got the front tire over, the rear tire hit, pie-shaped the rim, and he bailed hard. When the soldier was coming in and out of consciousness, he noticed that a German woman came from a farmhouse and was walking toward him, and he's trying to look for his revolver. And with going in and out of consciousness, he, he, uh, he did not get a shot off. And when he came to, he was inside the German lady's house, cleaned, bandaged, taken care of. The enemy whom he was coming against in an active war this lady who probably had, if she had sons, first of all, you have to understand that if her sons were around or her husband was around, this probably wouldn't have even taken place. But they were probably conscripted and gone, maybe killed, maybe captured, maybe injured, or maybe actively still fighting. But she sees a soldier from the other side and takes mercy and pity and picked him up and brought him inside and cared for him. That's powerful. That's very powerful. Now, this lady took immense risk to herself. That's technically an act of treason, helping the enemy. You know, somebody, her proper way of doing it should have been reported and 
you know, and he, this soldier would have been thrown in a constant a camp somewhere, maybe executed. Who knows? But that's not what happened. Because this lady was a modern day Good Samaritan. This lady, whom I don't know her name, on that day saved my grandfather. My grandfather was a soldier. There's a whole family network that exists because of her act. There are Christians in that line who are doing ministerial work because of that lady's act. It's very powerful. So that lady saved my grandfather, Fern Debra Bond. And that small act has touched many lives and it just shows that we we don't even understand when we do something small to someone the immense consequences that it has. Likewise, when we do the wrong thing, like the priest and the Levite, and look the other way and walk around, we don't fully understand or comprehend the devastating impact on somebody's life because of that choice. We look at the good side of it. We like to see all the good Samaritan, but when we are the Levite and the priest in our own hearts and our own actions and minds, we're devastating people. So, let's look again at verse 27. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. How can we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and show indifference or hatred towards others? We can't. If God's love is in us, our actions must follow suit. If you want to flip to Matthew 25, 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from the other as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the King will say to those uh, on His right, uh, Come you who are blessed by My Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? 
or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger or naked or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will say to them, truly, I say to you, as you did not do for the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The lawyer's initial question, or the follow-up question was, who's my neighbor? But the initial question was, what do I do to have eternal life? Well, I don't think I can make it any clearer than that. That when you believe in Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross, that we must we must adhere to these verses. Not because it's a have to, but because it naturally flows out because Jesus lives in us. It's, it will be there. And that heavenly love that Jesus will put in us is bigger than ourselves. And we have to love all those whom he created. And uh, we need to do our job planting seeds of love and truth so that in time, God will come and do his harvest. And we will populate heaven. And all we need to do is just love. I pray that this has given a fresh perspective, a fresh reminder of this parable. I know it has for me. And it's amazing when we actually allow ourselves to not justify it and we look at it and we see who we are. Don't get discouraged. Just know that that's God speaking to you to change you, to grow you, and so that we can be more like His Son Jesus every day. And let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your word and just how you use it and how it is so. It is so sharp and and will separate the bone and the marrow and that it's it's unbelievably true and sometimes painful to hear, Lord, but help us to hear it and adhere to it and listen. And Lord, we just thank you for those who have done kind acts 
and uh, been the Samaritan uh, in our lives. And Lord, help us to be a people that uh, live to do that, to advance your kingdom and to serve and show love to others. Amen. Special prayer for this unnamed woman, Lord Father, whom you used. Father, she's not aware of the eternal value of her acts of goodness that she showed to Trevor's grandfather that day. Thank you, Lord Father, that Trevor is here among us this day, preaching your word amongst the saved and his family because of the good deed of this woman. Amen.